Welcome and good morning to each and all of you on this beautiful, brand new Sunday morning. Friends, I want you to know that I cherish this time and I count it a real privilege that I get to share it with you. This morning I am particularly grateful. I am especially grateful that whatever is going on in my life, whatever is going on in your life, whatever circumstances we are facing, whether they are blessings or burdens, delights or distress, we all belong to a God who ever cherishes and ever cares for each of us. This is a truth and a promise that it would do us a power of good to constantly hold in mind. A truth and a promise we ought to rejoice in and to celebrate. That's why I've asked Stephen to read Psalm 98 for us. As he reads, listen to the psalmist as he encourages each of us to draw strength and joy from the providential goodness of our good God. Let these words help you in the midst of your present circumstances to remember and to never forget the sure and certain blessings given to us by the one who watches over us. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 98. Sing a new song to the Lord. He has done wonderful things. By his own power and holy strength, he has won the victory. The Lord announced his victory. He made his saving power known to the nations. He kept his promise to the people of Israel with loyalty and constant love for them. All people everywhere have seen the victory of our God. Sing for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Praise him with songs and shouts of joy. Sing praises to the Lord. Play music on the harps and blow trumpets and horns and shout for joy to the Lord our King. Roar, sea and every creature in you. Sing, earth and all who live on you. Clap your hands, you rivers. You hills, sing together with joy before the Lord. Because he comes to rule the earth. He will rule the peoples of the world with justice and fairness. And now, friends, I wonder, would you join me in a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of rejoicing? Father, we come to you this morning and we rejoice in you. We rejoice as those who have a hope that is steadfast and certain. We rejoice that whatever our present circumstances, they are just that, present circumstances. We rejoice that whatever barriers lie before us or within us, whatever barriers stand in our way with you and through the strength and hope you bestow, we will prevail, that in Christ we are more than conquerors. For you are the God of our salvation, the God who never forgets his love for his children, the God who is ever faithful. It is with this knowledge in mind, with this assurance in our hearts, that we go with confidence into this new day and into this new week, rejoicing, rejoicing in the providential goodness of our God. All glory be to his name. And now, friends, Stephen is going to bring us our second reading from the Gospel of Mark. And as he does, as you listen, ask yourself the question, 
Why is Jesus saying what he is saying in this particular situation? And what might that mean for all of us? Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark at chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 12. Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. A few days later, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and the news spread that he was at home. So many people came together that there was no room left, not even out in front of the door. Jesus was preaching the message to them when four men arrived, carrying a paralysed man to Jesus. Because of the crowd, however, they could not get the man to him. So they made a hole in the roof, right above the place where Jesus was. When they had made an opening, they let the man down, lying on his mat. Seeing how much faith they had, Jesus said to the paralysed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. Some teachers of the law who were sitting there thought to themselves, How does he dare to talk like this? This is blasphemy. God is the only one who can forgive sins. At once Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said to them, Why do you think such things? Is it easier to say to this paralysed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. I will prove to you then, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat and go home. While they all watched, the man got up, picked up his mat and hurried away. They were all completely amazed and praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Friends, would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning about that story that we just heard from the Gospel of Mark. And at the outset, I want to say this to you. You might think that reading the Bible was the simplest of things. But in fact, it is something that we have to learn how to do. And we learn how to do it in the company of others. These scriptures and the stories that they contained were all written to communities. They were all read in community and in fact studied in the context of community. The story of the healing of the paralytic in today's gospel is a good example. If you are used to reading and rereading the gospels or having them read and reread to you, You can very easily find yourself hardly noticing the miraculous healings, especially in a gospel like Mark, where Jesus seems to perform so many healings that you almost glaze over them. Oh, another miraculous healing. 
And of course, in a gospel like Mark, there is also that continual layer of conflict and controversy with the religious authorities that lies just beneath the surface of every event and every incident. Jesus can almost seem a bit like Boris Johnston, never out of the news, always getting into trouble, so that it no longer seems like a big deal. Or perhaps in this morning's story, your attention may have strayed to the less obvious parts of the story, like the link between healing and forgiveness, or the curious detail about the entry to the roof. Or if you have never read the story before, you might immediately think, whoa, who is this guy who can heal people just like that? Why isn't everyone giving him a standing ovation? You see, learning to read the Bible means avoiding these two extremes of either reading it wearily for the 151st time and saying, oh, it's just another healing, or acting as though it's the first time and going, wow, this is a healing, this is a healing, everybody. Learning to read the Bible means paying close attention to the details of the story and then seeing those details in the context of the wider story of what God is doing. And we do that in a way by asking ourselves questions like, why did Jesus do what he did, the way that he did it, where he did it, and when he did it? You see, the story of Jesus' actions and his teachings did not happen in a vacuum. This was firstly and foremostly good news to a particular group of people, to the community of Israel, to the ecclesia of God. It was not simply about a lost individual. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. His predecessor, John the Baptist, was a prophet to Israel, calling Israel, calling the people of God to prepare for their restoration. In other words, Jesus' message to the community of God's people is to prepare themselves for the work that God is going to do amongst them and through them. And friends, that message has not changed. That message has not changed. Now in the story, Jesus has been on a way on a preaching tour and he returns to his base at Capernaum, where he very quickly finds himself surrounded by the sick and the suspicious. And it is into this mix that a paralyzed man comes with the help of his friends, seeking help from Jesus. And that's another point, friends. No one ever comes to Jesus alone. We all come as a result of someone else's help or influence. And in the same way, no one follows Jesus alone. We always do it in the company and with the help of others. So here we are with the paralyzed man. And there are at least four barriers between him and the healing that Jesus can offer. And each of these barriers in their own way have something to say to us today. The first barrier is the crowd. It's so densely packed that it is impossible to get through to Jesus. By the way, this is the first time in his gospel that Mark mentions the crowd. They will occur again another 37 times. So they're pretty important to understanding Jesus' story. They are, in a sense, are the backdrop in which everything that Jesus does and says happens. But I want you to think for a moment about the example of the paralyzed man and his four friends, the determination to find a way through. The needs of others, friends, can sometimes be so overwhelming 
The difficulty of the task can inhibit us from acting, can paralyze our efforts, paralyze our will to do. But the crowd will always be there and the need will not go away simply because we decide we cannot meet it. All that God asks is that we do what we can with what we have and leave the rest up to him. You have the second barrier, which again lies in a sense at the center of the event. There are the religious authorities, those who want to debate the goals, means and appropriateness of Jesus' ministry. They are an infuriating group of people who seem to jump on Jesus every time he does something or says something that sets people free. Now, why are they so cross? Well, think about who these people are. They are the religious authorities, the power brokers. They controlled where, when and how sins were forgiven and debts were released. That was where their social, religious and economic power lay. But if this Jesus was going to go around announcing that sins were forgiven, that social power would be seriously undermined. Hence, these people carried on muttering about Jesus. They no doubt set up emergency meetings to discuss his activities, perhaps wrote strongly worded letters to Jerusalem or raised points of order at their committee meetings. See, this story, which looks like a healing, a simple issue of healing between Jesus and the paralyzed man, they quickly realized that this is not just about the healing of a paralyzed man, but this is about the issue of control. This is a struggle for the heart and mind of Israel. The religious authorities recognize very quickly that Jesus is not just setting the paralyzed man free. He also seems to be trying to set the crowd free, free from their religious control. And then, of course, there is the third and most obvious barrier, the man's paralysis. And when you read the story in the social and historical context, you might ask yourself, is Jesus using this situation to highlight a bigger issue in the life of the people of God? Is he trying to illustrate to this man's plight that this paralyzed man represents Israel? Does his paralysis represent the paralyzing grip that Rome has on Israel? choking her sense of autonomy? Does the healing itself hold out the hope of ending Israel's internal exile, as it were? Does the presence of Jesus hold the promise of the restoration of Israel to the freedom to be what God has called her to be? Or does Jesus' words about forgiveness speak of Israel's need of forgiveness? Does her external helplessness actually stem from an internal cause? Does her paralysis actually have less to do with the external circumstances of Roman oppression and more to do with the state of Israel's soul? Is, in other words, she now resorting to working for God while being estranged from God? She has not ceased to be God's people. But there is no doubt in Jesus' mind that she has lost her sense of spiritual bearing. 
And having lost it, she decides to find her own way by her own means. Friends, as God's people, we are not impervious to such temptations. And therefore have to ask ourselves the same questions. Can we avoid falling into the same sense of self-induced helplessness? The I can't, we can't mindset? You see, Israel has allowed herself to become paralyzed by focusing on external circumstances, i.e. Roman oppression. That's perhaps why they looked for a Messiah who would take care of this external circumstance. In other words, they looked for a political liberator, a revolutionary. But instead, Jesus is telling them to repent. He is telling them to change their perspective and to begin to do life with God, to do it from the inside out, instead of resorting to doing life for God by focusing on the outside in. Religion at the end of the day is faith under our control. And so we do things for God. Hence our obsession with rules and making sure that we are doing it right according to our understanding, our preferences and our prejudices. But living faith, living faith on the other hand, is doing things with God. And doing things with God requires a dependency born of personal relations. You remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? I only do what I see my Father doing. Well, in order to see what your Father is doing, you have to be watching your Father. You have to be where your Father is at any given time and to do what He is doing at any given time. And then, of course, there is the fourth barrier, which is the roof. I love the irreverence of passionate faith that comes through in these four men. This, in a sense, is the easiest of all the barriers because it requires neither miraculous power nor ecclesial authority to remove. It simply takes imagination, elbow grease and courage, which is exactly what these four friends have in, sp in spades. I love Franco Zifarelli's uh, take on this in Jesus of Nazareth, where actually he portrays the house as belonging to Peter and Peter's indignation and outrage as these four men start to rip the roof off of his house. But these four men are determined that their friend will get that freedom that Jesus offers and nothing will stop them from making it happen. And look at what Jesus does. He turns a paralyzed man into an able-bodied man, from a burden into a burden carrier, from a person who is carried in on a mat into a person who can now carry others on the mat. He transforms this man, not only in his physical state, but also in his social and psychological state. You see, Jesus does not simply redeem the soul. He also restores the self. There is such a thing as psychological and social healing, and there is a greater need for it in our society than we might imagine. You see, much of who we are, for better or worse, is a consequence of what happened to us in the company of others, or what is happening to us in the company of others, for the better, or sadly, sometimes for the worse. But it is this wonderful, holistic work of healing and restoration that Jesus offers. This is what Jesus does for people. 
Friends, our job is simply to bring people to Jesus. The rest is up to him. Let me just quickly summarize the four barriers, the crowd, the religious rules, the paralysis, the roof. In other words, circumstances, fearful control, self-inflicted restrictions, and the will or the lack of will to do. These are things that scripture speaks to us about this morning. And it would be good for you today to go home and throughout this day and throughout this week to reread this story and to reflect together on what it has to say to us as God's people today. What it has to say to us as the church of God in dollar today. Friends, would you join me in a closing prayer? Lord, we come before you this morning and ask of you today that in the same way that you delivered the paralyzed man from his sins and you healed him of his paralysis, so too you would deliver all of us from the sins that bind us and especially at this time, Relieve us of the fears that so easily paralyze our hearts, minds, and spirits. Grant to each and to all of us, whatever our circumstances, this blessing. But grant it especially to those who at this time are facing the challenge of ill health, of psychological distress and material need. Be the God of their need. Be the God whose providence is sure and certain in their life. Give to all the help of good companions and help all of us to be good companions to each and all, that together with you and with each other, we might find the strength to persevere, to overcome, to press through, that together all of us may know in this day and in this coming week the joy and strength of your salvation. This we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, friends, may the grace and peace of God the Father be multiplied to you. May you all know the blessings of God the Son's friendship and the joyful empowering of God the Holy Spirit throughout this day and this coming week. Amen.